This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. So, uh, welcome back to History Chatter. This week, we're going to talk about a recent controversy. about the so-called dancing girl of Mohenjo-daro some of you may be familiar with this story on 18th of May the World Museum Day an exhibition in Delhi was inaugurated and the Ministry of Culture had chosen the famous or now infamous or controversial uh, the dancing girl or so-called dancing girl of Mohenjo-daro the controversy is about whether it should be kept nude or it should have been clothed it has been clothed and in quite strange colors by the organizers and it's been chosen as the mascot of this international museum exhibition um we were trying to find whether or not it's appropriate how do we appropriate cultural um, artifacts cultural objects which go back uh, several thousands of years I was looking for some reading material and uh, I came across a wonderful paper by my old friend and colleague Dr Ashish Kumar who teaches um, history in Punjab University Chandigarh Ashish has written this wonderful paper Ashish of course has written about 20 papers in the last 10 years his area of interest is trade forest and uh, cities in south asia in ancient india to be more precise but uh, in uh, 2019 4 years ago ashish wrote this wonderful paper on uh, the career of the dancing girl or the so called dancing girl of mohenjodaro um the paper is really about how this identity of a dancing girl came to be imposed as it were on this bronze figurine I'll ask uh, much more uh, about this history to Ashish but let me first welcome Ashish to our show and ask a very basic question what do you think about this controversy Ashish around the dancing girl since you've written that wonderful paper uh thank you Anirban for having me uh I've gone through the uh, uh this entire controversy and uh Now just let me uh, start with the with the way uh, this uh, mascot has been introduced by the the authorities so it's basically being uh, claimed that it's a it's kind of a contemporized uh, uh, version of the so called dancing girl which belongs to the harappan civilization and was found in the the famous city of that time mohenjodaro and uh, in and it is also being called uh, a dwarpath which is quite interesting and which is something very new okay it, it, no one has before called or associated this dwarpath or doorkeeper identity with this uh, image now uh, when i look at the responses or how the people have reacted to this mascot image then there are two types of uh, uh, criticism or questions that are being raised one is related to the color of the skin of this mascot which is pinkish 
and uh, it is being argued that okay originally the color was dark and now it is being turned into pink in order to make it more aryan white uh uh for people like now i have a issue with this uh, uh this criticism actually as everyone knows this uh, image is made of bronze and it's casted uh by following the uh, lost wax process so now bronze artifacts are made these usually are uh, of uh, shining surface and carry the lighter color so originally when this image had been casted it was not dark dark okay, okay. it dark. becomes dark when bronze uh, is exposed yeah. wears out and uh, it develop a patina uh, 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 layer okay brownish dark color so when the create when it was actually manufactured it was not dark okay the creator of that time were not thinking in these this racial skin color terms so imagining that okay this girl was of dark skin color this was a something which was uh, uh, imagined in the in the course of the 20th century and the scholars are now have uh, then accepted and kind of internalized this this idea the other issue is associated with the with the nakedness or the nudity okay that is associated with the original mohenjodaro girl no it is uh, 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 originally no doubt the girl was not having any clothes okay the original image is but now she is clothed she is wearing uh, uh, a blouse and a skirt okay which makes her look more tribal or folkish so nakedness one can understand okay the officials who were dealing with this remodeling they found this nudity un, uh, like uh, not suitable for the larger audience and the people in general because nudity is generally associated with the idea of uh, what you say uh, obscenity and uh, immoral uh, character so that one can understand but more interesting is the selection of clothes she is not wearing sari she is wearing uh, a tribal folkish dress okay which also makes her uh, someone who didn't belong to the higher sections of the society but rather to the lower social orders and this was precisely the idea which the colonial scholars when who interpreted this like john marshall they associated with it because uh, and this is the idea which had been carried forward by the people who cre- recreated this image so they are, uh, so it she becomes a dwarpa she is not a woman who belongs to the inner sphere of the house but to the outer sphere so she is a public woman so this idea of public women this identity has continued which is very much reflected by the choice of clothes that are put on her body by the uh, by the creator of this mascot so i think both who are who created it this mascot and who are res- responding to it okay criticizing it they are both looking at the uh, the original image the the mohenjodaro girl image from a very very colonial uh, perspective they are trapped in that uh, framework which was created in the course of the 20th century under the colonial uh, authorities this is um, what then um, leads me to the basic question tell me more about the story of how the image was discovered when and how was it discovered and how did it come to be associated with the image of an aboriginal girl if you look at the way the history of india 
developed. So before 1920, uh, it was believed that okay, history of India started with the arrival of the Aryans from Central Asia, and they introduced the higher civilization. And uh, and then in 1920s, these two sites, Harappa and Mohenjo-daro, okay, they were excavated. Uh, Harappa was in uh, Sahiwal district of Punjab and uh, Mohenjo-daro in Larkana district of Sindh. Both are now in Pakistan. Bayram Sani, Rakaldas Banerji, both were involved in the excavation of it. And it was realized that, okay, this civilization belongs to the 3rd millennium BC. It was contemporary of the Mesopotamian civilization of West Asia. On the basis of it, uh, on 20th uh, September 1924, John Marshall, who was the Director General of Archaeological Survey of India at that time, he announced the discovery of a new civilization, which was pre-Aryan, so which means it was non-Aryan, uh, and it was the announcement was done through Illustrated London News. So in this way, the civilization was discovered. So uh, in 1926-1927, Dayaram Sahani was excavating uh, this Block 7 area of the Mohenjo-daro. And in this Block 7 area, there was this house number 55 in the ninth lane. And within this house number 55, there is one room, which is uh, uh, which is room number 40. So when he was excavating this room number 40, he came across this uh, uh, Mohenjo-daro girl image, this bronze image. Interestingly, the room is identified as a bath and the image is found near a fireplace. And two other uh, artifacts which are found in the same room. One is a copper spoon and another is an elephant uh, a statue. So in this way, this uh, image was originally found. So um, that then brings me to the next question. The, an image is found inside a room where you also find... Um, two other artifacts, a spoon, a ladle, and an elephant statue, which appears to be something like a bathroom of sorts, a large one probably. How does an image which is found inside a room near a fireplace in what appears to be a bathroom along with an elephant statue then gets to be called a dancing girl? Who keeps a dancing girl statue in a bathroom? It's a very interesting uh, story because what was actually happening, uh, these archaeologists were digging uh, the sites and they were collecting all material. And uh, uh, the decipherment part, it was being done by John Marshall, who was the director general. And uh, he was working with a civilization of which lots of archaeological material was available, but no text was available. They were, the script was not deciphered, it's still not deciphered. So there was no text to uh, text available which could be used to explain the meaning and purpose of these artifacts. So John Marshall was using uh, literate Sanskrit literature, like Vedas and the subsequent literature. And he was also using his own experience in the in India. And in addition to that, lots of concepts. For example, he was also identifying the utility of uh, certain artifacts, like uh, if you found a bowl or a thali or a spoon or some weapon, so you can very much identify their, their, uh, their identity by identifying the utility. But the, the same was not possible with this uh, bronze image of a girl. 
And it, when you look at this image, okay, I will just briefly describe like how it looks. So it's a tiny image, 10.8 centimeter long and around 5 centimeter uh, uh, broad. It's an image of a slender girl. It's she's standing upright, head is slightly tilted backward, left leg is bent at knee, and right hand is on the hip. Left hand is on the thigh, and uh, she's possibly holding some object in her uh, left hand, which is missing. She's entirely naked, but lots of jewelry is there. So she's wearing. Yeah, I heard that she's wearing some 24 yeah. bangles. She, wrote, she's yeah. wearing around 24, 25 bangles on her <laughs> yeah. left arm. And then there are uh, around four uh, bangles on her right arm. And she, the head, hairs are tied in bun at the back of. So now, when this image reached into the hands of uh, John Marshall, uh, she identified three key uh, features associated with it, which have played an important role in constructing the identity of it. Uh, one is nudity. She's naked. So, uh, so therefore, he immediately concluded that, okay, okay, because she's nude, she's not wearing clothes, so she possibly belongs to a lower social order or someone who doesn't belong to the inside uh, uh, of a household. She's someone who's a public uh, woman, something like that. And she, she identified her as a Aboriginal girl. So she's not Ari. She's different from from the RNs. Okay. The third, he identified the profession. That is very interesting. He identified her as a dancer, a professional dancer. And when we I read the report that he wrote on Mohanjada, then he uses an expression uh, for for this image, this Mohanjada girl image. He calls uh, uh, this image the young Aboriginal notch girl. The expression notch is very interesting. Because notch is an anglicized uh, word for notch. In, in fact, the title of your article is the Sahib's Notch Girl. So, yeah. when I was looking at uh, the 18th and 19th century scenario, I came across lots of references in uh, Christian missionaries, travelogues, writings of Europeans uh, related to the notch girls or notch girls. They were uh, women, public dancers. Their dances were organized for entertainment, not only by the Indian elites, but also by the European officials who were living in India away from their family. And so they needed some entertainment. So these dances had become quite popular. So I feel like possibly this image of a notch girl was somewhere in the mind of John Marshall when he identified this, this uh, bronze image as a, as a dancing girl. So in this way, uh, this nudity... This uh, this Aryan non Aryan uh, 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 debate and this uh, this this notch girl uh, uh, they played an important role in shaping this this this, this object's identity. Um, Ashish, I had um, another question in mind which I uh, found in your paper. Um, you make a very interesting distinction in terms of gender between the archaeologist's response to Harappan figures. Uh, and they have, um, in fact, these things are not taught in Indian schools anymore. But I was reading Mackey uh, yesterday, and he has a long chapter on religion. There's not so much on religion uh, being taught in, in schools about Harappa these days. But early on in the 1930s, apparently there was a great deal of concern whether... 
there was some kind of a precursor harappa was some kind of a precursor to aryan or vedic hinduism that debate has since died down i think in the last 20 30 years but um, in terms of gender you make a fascinating distinction between um, the male figures and the female figures in harappa you suggest that um, the archaeologists interpreted most female figures because they were nude as um, somewhat less civilized less in control of their mind compared to the male figures which were clothed and they were interpreted as more civilized more intelligent the 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 figures of the priest king for instance is supposed to be um, of a priestly order which is part of the ruling class and the figure of the females appear to be aboriginals of dancing girls and so on so they made a conscious distinction in terms of gender uh, between these harappan figures which were built or made at the same time i found that fascinating do you want to add to that a little because that part uh, i didn't plan to ask but it came across very nicely in your paper and i could not resist myself yes uh, you know uh, when the uh, the colonial uh, scholars they started studying indian religion they developed certain theories in the course of the 19th century and which continued uh, again when the indus valley civilization was discovered so uh, it was argued that okay uh, the 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 religion the pure religion okay the higher religion is always the religion which uh, is devoid of idol worship rituals okay which is more uh, mental abstract abstract okay yeah but and therefore they argued that okay when you talk about the vedas in which no idol worship is mentioned and when you talk about buddhism which talks about uh, asceticism um, such ideas no idol worship then they were considered as higher type of religion then it was argued that as the this aryan culture spread in india interacted with the non aryan culture it was debased degenerate Lots of right. uh, this uh, this non Aryan practice practices like mother uh, this fertility worship, idol worship, magical rites, rituals they become part of the uh, the the so called Aryan religion. So yeah. so the Aryan blood also degenerated. Okay, so all this was argued. So in this way, the Vedic Buddhist religion becomes a higher type of a religion, and the Puranic Hinduism become kind of a degenerated. Uh, type of religion so this distinction was maintained so when uh, uh, this artifacts related to the harappan civilization were found lots of uh, female figurines were found in most of the cases uh, they are not uh, wearing clothes half nude semi nude uh, images are there bronze image of uh, dancing girl is also like so it was argued to look okay, at these images were for uh, for rituals and particularly ritual associated with the fertility cults or or uh, the term they popularized was mother goddess cults right so that's right. mother goddess so they become a a, a cults associated with the plebeians the people of the of an inferior yes, variety no social honors and then there are also some of the uh, images uh, uh, male images which are found in which they are shown uh, like there is a pashupati shiva image which is very popular so he is like it's believed that okay this this person who is sitting uh, and surrounded by elephants uh, like 
animals like elephant, uh, lion, rhinoceros, buffalo, he's a kind of a Shiva in a Pashupati form. He's a yogi in Dhyan. Okay. He's meditant. So it was argued okay, this meditation, this yoga aspect, it, it's connected with the mental uh, uh, sphere. So it's more of a higher order, which is what he was associated <laughs> with the elites or the higher priest of the Harpal society. But this mother goddess curse, this fertility curse was related to the lower social order. So it was deleted, okay, there were multiple cults which were existing. In yeah, so both both some sort of a, a polyphony, but also there was a clear yes. hierarchy between yes. the cults. Because the male cults were of a more sophisticated uh, variety, yes. according to the archaeologists. I just mentioned that, okay, because no text associated with this civilization was available. So they started using the later date text and started interpreting these artifacts in the light of those later date uh, Sanskrit uh, text. Let me come back to uh, the so-called dancing girl and I am now going to call it so-called every time I mention it and I advise our listeners also to do that because this image has to be shed if we are serious about our scholarship and about our history. Um, thank you so much Ashish but let me come to the next question. Why and how did this figure come to be so special as though it somehow embodies some sort of an essential feature or quality of the Indus Valley Civilization. Whenever someone talks about Indus Valley Civilization, one either talks about the so-called dancing girl or that, you know, priest, philosopher, king figure with the bed. As though these two figurants in some way carries the essence. If you see them, you've seen almost all of the Indus Valley Civilization. How does such a large and diverse culture and civilization, which had yielded, you know, millions of artifacts probably, come to reside in these two major figures? Why are these two figures so charged with symbolism? Uh, the, the first reason is because... Uh these were the earliest artifacts which were found. So, when in the 1920s excavation was going on, uh, only two major sites had been identified. One was Harappa, another one was Mohenjoda, which are also called twin capital of this civilization. And uh, in spite of large number of artifacts which were found, these, uh, this uh, bronze image of a girl, and that priest, so-called priest king image, they were the uh, they were not found in anywhere else. So uh, it kind of made them unique. And another thing is like again and again the uh, the archaeologists associated with the clone uh, like uh, from Europe as well as India, they have been talking about these two figures again and again in their writings. For example, if I look at the writings of uh, E. G. H. Mackey, Stuart Pigott, and Mortimer Wheeler. I see that they have continuously talked about this image from uh, this girl's image from Mohenjuda. For example, uh, E.J.H. Mackey, who was also associated with the excavation of Mohenjuda, when he talks about this image, he calls it uh, 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 Devadasam. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he, he does something funny. You know, he also says apparently that the Devadasis um, enjoyed uh, quite an honorable position in society. Actually, it's it's a paradox yeah, because yeah. if you look at the uh, uh, the Devdasi uh, practice, it has continued up to the uh, uh, the 19th and the early 20th century. 
and uh, there were many uh, devdasis uh, who were associated with different hindu uh, temples temples uh, in the in the early 20th century when gjh mackey uh, was writing about harappan civilization so he was also kind of uh, establishing a connect between the modern uh, times and the ancient times but then uh, devdasis were again public women they were associated with the temples that's why they were honorable but still uh, uh when you read egh mackey's writing he says that okay they possibly were uh, associated with some type of dances in which uh, they had to dance without clothes okay so in this way this idea of of a public women this identity of public women has remained attached to it and then again it's stuart pigott if you look at his writing he's again goes a step further he says that okay the the girl possibly belongs to the kuli culture of south baluchistan he says that okay yes, uh, yes. these karwa traders uh, they would have uh, bought these girls from baluchistan and brought to the harappan uh, or mohenjodaro for public entertainment for or, or for their own entertainment okay so such identities have been again and again associated with this uh, this image and again if you look at uh, motima vila okay again he he was the last uh, director general of archaeological survey of india and has been very influential that is in the 50s and the 19 uh, 50s and 1960s in india and pakistan he was a advisor uh, uh, to archaeological activities in both the countries now uh, motima vila calls her an aboriginal dancer a provocative and skillful dancer he says that okay she appears to be very confident and he calls her a little baluchi girl of 15 years of age so you all see that okay for a long period continuously the three features nudity aboriginal identity and dance they have emphasized upon by the scholars even the indian ar- uh, archaeologists have done the same like kn dikshit kn dikshit he says that okay the girl, the image belongs to a to a, a a negroid girl who belong to a lower social order so again this has been again and again emphasized upon in different writings and that's why it has been made popular i i feel so strange that you know we hold this animated debates about changes in school textbooks but nobody takes up uh, this questionable depictions like the dancing girl and how much it was and it is an insult to all indian women uh but moving across um, you make plenty of references to the presentist orientation of archaeologists you also write about a heated debate between india and pakistan about the ownership of these artifacts and uh, you know the rather controversial exchanges during and after the partition you cite an article in 2014 where a pakistani museum director accuses india of stealing this figure uh, of borrowing it from pakistan and never returning it as if this figure is something like kashmir <laughs> and i was amused why don't you tell us that story what happens in 1947 and how did this girl become an indian property and that that bearded priest king became a pakistani property so uh, it's a, again a very fascinating uh, story now actually what happened at uh, 1947 partition happened 
and uh, and two nation state came into existence and uh, both needed a history every nation needs a history so there was a history up to 1947 of india undivided india but now when a partition happened then pakistan needed a history in order to justify its very presence and indian also needed to redefine their historic uh, 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 lineage okay roots so what happened that uh, uh, and again what happened on the eve of uh, partition that uh, around 12000 artifacts from mohenjodaro harappa and other sites they were in new delhi uh motima wheeler has brought these artifacts uh, to delhi for a for some exhibition which never happened and uh, the partition happened so pakistan uh, archaeologists and officials demanded all the artifacts back to pakistan because all the major sites of harappan civilization at that time were in pakistan harappa mohenjodaro and there were only minor two sites in india one was rangpur in gujarat and another one was uh, uh in uh, kotlani khan in punjab east punjab so uh indian officials refused to give all the artifacts they said that okay it also belongs this civilization also belongs to us so then uh, motima wheeler mediated and the uh, settlement was done it was decided that okay all the artifacts uh, would be divided 50 but then it was not possible <laughs> to divide uh, this image of a girl from mohenjodaro and that so called priest king image again from the mohenjodaro So Indian archaeologists and officials refused to hand over both the images to Pakistani archaeologists and officials. So they asked them to okay choose any one of these. And interestingly, and this is again, it's not. Yeah, I I, I know, but I wanted to tell the story to our listeners. I yes. believe that uh, Pakistani uh, official decided to take uh, priest king instead of this uh, nude girl's image. so that they could avoid the religious backlash that could have invoked by the nudity of this girl's image from uh, mohenjodaro so in this way this image was left in india and the priest king image went to pakistan to pakistan and then uh, this is this is uh, end of being uh, a fascinating story and then it finds a place in uh, what we now call a national museum yes Uh, in fact uh, i read in art historians account that both these countries went quite aggressively to develop institutions which would be called national museums as if the collection of artifacts in these national museums would somehow represent to the visitors a microcosm of india if you visit national museums you have an experience of seeing india or india's history within an enclosed space that was more or less the idea of creating museums so something which is discovered 25 years ago is once again reinstalled within a museum and now described as an essential part of india not just an essential part of india but something that carries an essence which is probably 5000 years old like we have the life of of the prince in a bird we have the life or the nation of india in a minor micro form within that girl and this entire process of museumization or you know curating the nation afresh after independence is a fascinating process in itself how did this new life of an old object 
transform history how do museums transform history really this harappan uh, civilization okay when you look at the history of the subcontinent you will see that it it's it was a major civilization and uh, somehow before 1947 it was established and accepted and even internalized by even the indian uh, scholars and other people that india's history starts from this civilization but then 1947 happened so again i'm repeating uh, the line that okay all the major sites have gone to pakistan and pakistani archaeologists they were <laughs> claiming that okay now their history starts from the indus valley civilization not the history of india and in order to justify the or create a new history for pakistan an ancient history of pakistan motima miller wrote uh, the book 5000 years of pakistan which was published in 1950 and motima miller says that okay pakistan had come into existence uh, when harappan civilization came into existence so india and, and and indians were worried that pakistan would now be called older than india. india because what wheeler was arguing yeah. that okay now the sites belong to pakistan all this harappa mohenjodara so pakistan is the actual owner of this custodian of this civilization and india civilization starts with the arrival of the aryans so uh, 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 the his chronologically harappan civilization appeared by the 3rd millennium bc and aryans entered into india according to the chronology in second millennium bc so pakistan becomes 1000 years mid second millennium yeah okay yeah, that's right so indians would not have accepted it so that created a flutter in delhi i'm sure yes <laughs> so after that archaeological survey of india dedicated all his energies to find harappan's sites and this obsession is still going on so you see raki gadi you see kalibangan you see other sites and they are still saying that okay we also have a claim over the harappan civilization that's why the new terminology sindhu sindhu saraswati sambeta or indus saraswati civilization because indian are also saying that okay it also belongs to us we also started from this civilization so this conflict right Uh, uh, between India and Pakistan related to the ownership of this civilization has also entered into the historiography. So this, right? Uh, so this has right. Uh, I is uh, this politics related to the museums. So that's why this image of a girl becomes important because it shows India's connection with the Mohenjo-Daro and ownership of some remnant of from Mohenjo-Daro, which. helps in putting forth or strengthening this claim over this civilization so that's why this image becomes really really important right thank you so much ashish i don't want to stop but i must conclude this session because there are limits to how long we can possibly go on you spoke about the discovery of the bronze figurine you spoke about how it was um, characterized by the existing prejudices and experiences of the colonial archaeologists you also spoke about how partition added a new dimension to the career and uh, possibly the characterization of this little bronze figurine and you also spoke about how india and pakistan continues even today to fight over which one of them <coughs> is older as a civilization all of this we can learn from a minor controversy about whether or not this um, so called dancing girl should be kept nude or be made to wear clothes and 
I hope our listeners also gained a great deal of information and insight from this uh, wonderful discussion with Dr. Ashish Kumar, who teaches in Punjab University, Chandigarh, and is an acknowledged expert in ancient Indian history. Thank you so much, Ashish. I'd like to have you over again whenever there's another similar controversy about an ancient Indian artifact comes up. Thank you so much, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks for watching and listening to History Chatter.